Hey, this is Russell Wilson. This is Joe Montana. This is Dak Prescott. Hey, this is Jason Kelsey, and you're listening to Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. I am Rob Motti. Welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. We've got future first ballot Hall of Famer Drew Brees this week, along with Washington Commanders defensive lineman James Smith-Williams. We're at week five. There's only one undefeated team still in the NFL. The Philadelphia Eagles are 4-0, and and there's only one Winless team, the Houston Texans are 0-3-1. Parody, like the NFL loves it. We've got some exciting matchups this week, starting tonight in Denver. I'll be there for the first time. Broncos and Russell Wilson, they're going to host the 1-3 Indianapolis Colts. Interesting matchup. Matt Ryan off to a slow start with the Colts. We'll get to some picks coming up. You'll want to stay tuned for those. 8-0 over the past two weeks against the spread in the game's that we highlight on this podcast. Concussions dominated the conversation after what happened to Tua Tungavailoa last week. This is a topic we've discussed often on this show, and it seems like one we're always going to be bringing to the forefront. Football is a violent sport. I don't know how players can be protected from concussions short of turning the NFL into flag football, which isn't happening, only the Pro Bowl. There are more protocol changes that are coming, understandably so. Everyone should want player safety to be a number one priority. We're joined by Washington Commanders defensive end James Smith-Williams, an outspoken domestic violence advocate. You're raising awareness for Purina and Red Rover's Purple Leash Project this Domestic Violence Awareness Month. James, I appreciate what you're doing and forward to chatting with you about that. First, let's start with this. I was at FedEx for the season opening win when you guys played Jacksonville, and it was an exciting finish. Leaving that stadium, I saw fans were just pumped up, fired up about where the team was heading. And then you lose three straight games. What's the mood surrounding the team right now? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely eager to get back out there. That's the biggest thing is we're ready to go. You know, we we know we're a really good team, and we're excited to show that on Sunday. What do you guys have to do to turn things around starting this week against Tennessee? Yeah, we should be more physical. I think offensive side of the ball, they'll be more physical in defense too. We want to keep up the physicality, and that's our brand of football. I'm familiar with Coach Rivera from his days back in Philly. What does he do? What's his message to the team to keep you guys from, you know, you could spiral downward when you go into a little bit yeah. of a slump. How's he keep you even killed? Well, yeah, I mean, one, Coach Rivera's been through a lot of adversity, right? And his personal life, you know, on the field, he's a guy who's been through the ringer. And so his message to us is, you know, you know what you can do. You put it on film week one. You put it on film during certain parts of the game, you know. Now it's time to have that complete game again. From a personal standpoint, James, you were a seventh-round pick. Now you're starting on the defensive line. You guys you guys got first-round picks all around, right, up and down. I know Chase Young is hurt. But when yeah. you look at those guys, like they, they get that big contract. They get the security. They know they're going to be there. What's it been like for you, kind of like coming out of NC State, seventh-rounder? You got to prove yourself. No, that's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head, and it's got to prove myself, right, year in, year out. You know, continue to improve, continue to show value and show I deserve to be here. What's that journey been like for you from from college to where you are now? Like, could you have envisioned at this point in your career you you'd be getting this kind of opportunity? I mean, I'm a one day at a guy, one day at a time type of guy, right? So I I try to just stay where I'm at, be present in the moment. But um, 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely believe that I can play at a high level, play at this level and play well. So for me, I, I always had that belief, you know, it was making sure I showed that to my coaches, that ability and time level to play. Tell me a little bit about this Purple Leash project. I know it's a national initiative to increase the number of pet-friendly domestic abuse shelters in the U.S., and it provides a, a much-needed resources, really, to survivors and, and their pets. How did you get involved, and, and what's your interest level in it? How, how did that start? Yeah, so um, I, I've been doing domestic violence stuff for a while now. I started back in college um, for me, and, you know, Prina and, and Red Rover kind of reached out and said, hey, we feel like you're a perfect fit, you know, you have a dog that you love dearly, like you understand the importance of pets in your life and the role they play. And also you're an outspoken advocate for this call. So that was kind of like the initial uh, meeting there. And then, you know, just hearing about the issue at hand and realizing that only 15% of domestic violence shelters uh, allow pets. And that, I mean, about 50% of the people delay leaving their situation because they can't bring their pets with them. And that's, and that's a life or death situation. What drew you to, to domestic violence? Did you grow up in an environment? Like, did you see yeah. it around? No, I actually didn't. Um, my origin story in this work is uh, a lady named Brenda Tracy came and spoke to me my junior year of college. And, and uh, her, her biggest takeaway for me was, you know, if you're a good man, what are you doing? And that's kind of the mantra I just continue to live by. And if I can help out, I will. And that's just kind of started my work or my path with this work. Do you talk to teammates? Do you talk to other players around the league? Because we obviously we know there's been incidents right. involving right. NFL players. You know, right. what, what do you say to them? Yeah, I mean, I talk to my teammates, you know, it's just the locker room. So it's a place we could be really vulnerable to each other and have, you know, authentic conversations. And, you know, we, we talk about all sorts of things surrounding this. And, um, you know, if they come to me about something or, you know, I hear something, I, I'll speak up about it and be like, hey, like, you know, is that really the mindset you want to have about whatever it may be? So we definitely, I've had a lot of authentic conversations with some guys and, and you know, they've had that in return with me. Now, I know you do a lot of community work and you were recognized for it last year by the NFL Players Association as a community MVP. Uh, I know there's a lot of individual awards on the field that guys can get. But what does that mean to you to get to be recognized for something that you do in the community? Uh, it means a lot. Right. It means that, I mean, one is being seen, but it means it's making an impact. That's the biggest thing for me is that, you know, the work I'm doing is important and it's really helping to change lives. So it's purpleleashproject.com. People can visit yeah. the site, get more information, learn about it, donate, receive. Now you're going to be wearing, I know it's a week, it's several weeks away, week 13, right. my cause, my cleats, but you're going to be wearing yeah. those, those cleats? Yeah, I'll be wearing uh, my custom design uh, Purple Leash Project cleats. Uh, I know that's probably uh, December 4th, I believe, is yes. when that's debuting. So I'm really excited for that. Well, James, hey, I appreciate you spending a few minutes with me and, and sharing about the good work you're doing. Good luck out there against Tennessee yep. and, and, and keep up the great work, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. You have a good one. Drew Brees is one of the NFL's all-time greatest quarterbacks. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer once he's eligible in a few years. Drew led the New Orleans Saints to a Super Bowl. He was MVP of that game. Now he's on another team. He's on the Lowe's home team, a group of NFL players coming together to tackle improvement projects for worthy organizations across the country. And they want to inspire NFL fans to tackle their own home improvement projects this season. The Lowe's home team consists of eight current and former NFL players, Lowe's Red Vest Associates, and eight 
5,000 fans coming together to tackle critical repair projects in NFL markets and communities in need. So as part of his role on the home team, Drew partnered with Lowe's and Lower9.org to complete a new sustainable work-live headquarters that will provide year-round, well-equipped, modern housing for visiting volunteers in the Lower Ninth Ward Lower9.org is committed to the long-term recovery of the Lower Ninth Ward of New Orleans and was awarded $275,000 as part of Lowe's Hometowns Initiative. We chat about this and much more. Here's my conversation with Drew Brees. Drew, you didn't play football last year, but you worked around it, right, in Sunday night football, part of the telecast. How was it for you handling that transition from being on the field for so many years to being on the other side? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was certainly an adjustment, um, especially when you look at, you know, the, the amount of stuff that I, I had the chance to be exposed to um, in a short amount of time. And it was kind of bouncing back and forth between, you know, broadcasting college games. I, I did all the Notre Dame home, home games with Mike Tirico. Um, and then I was able to do two NFL games, um, one on Thanksgiving and then one in the playoffs um, that were spread out quite a bit. Um, but did a couple of preseason games. So obviously did all the Sunday night football night in America uh, studio work, you know, prior to Sunday night football, I'm out of the studio in Connecticut. And then I uh, had a chance to be a part of that five hour uh, pregame Super Bowl broadcast um, in LA. So, and then did sideline uh, work during the playoffs. Right. So, I mean, you, you, you really, that's like five different elements of, I guess the, uh, the media transition, uh, you know, both broadcasting field in studio and then a, a big Super Bowl pregame broadcast. So definitely got exposed to a lot in a short amount of time. It was kind of bouncing back and forth, you know, definitely different skill sets and using different muscles. I learned a ton. Um, I think the group at NBC is absolutely first class and the best in the business and being able to ch- uh, have a chance to work with guys like Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy and um, Maria Taylor and, and, and that group on a daily basis was just awesome. So I really, really enjoyed that and, and valued that time. I think at the end of the day, for me, um, you know, I chose not to do that this year just because it did take up every weekend in the fall for me, which I've got four kids, age 13, 12, 10, and 8. So these are just such valuable moments, and I'm coaching all the kids, and they've got games on the weekends. And I just don't want to miss any, any of those moments right now. Is it something that you think, Drew, you might want to do again at some point down the road? Yeah, I think it certainly opened that door and it, I think it gave me some really good exposure to what that what that world is and what it takes to be really good um, in that world. And um, I definitely you know, feel like I walked away with a pretty good skill set um, if I chose to go back and do it. So certainly I'm leaving that door open and we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, I think the the world by which the fans consume the game is also changing. I think you see a lot of these alternative broadcasts that are taking place um, like with Monday night football. And then obviously Thursday night football with, you know, the things that Amazon's doing with do perfect and others. Right. I think it's, it's really kind of an interesting way to watch the game and hear the game and learn about the game. Um, I think, you know, from my perspective, being a quarterback who played 20 years in the NFL, I just watch a game totally different than probably most people. You know, it's hard to just, sit back and watch it as a fan. You know, you're so analytical with everything. You put yourself in the moment at all times. And I think that's a really interesting perspective for fans to hear. Um, and I think uh, I'm, I look forward to to finding ways that that can be communicated in a much more in-depth way. That's kind of outside the, the, the norm or what is like the typical formula for right. broadcasting a game, you know, 
but like really going in depth for the fans that, you know, want to know exactly what happened. I mean, there's so many times I think where I'm watching the game and I'm listening to the broadcaster talk about a play and it sounds good, but it's not accurate. You know, mm. it's not accurate. Um, and uh, if, you know, it, it really can only come from somebody who's been in that position and played the game and knows the defensive coordinator, knows the offensive system, knows the way it should have been done. Um, so I look forward to, to finding a way to communicate that. Yeah, I think it's a, a beautiful thing the way they do it with Eli and Peyton and, and they get to be at home or one's in the studio. I know I think Peyton's at home. If you had that opportunity where you're at home, it takes away less travel, right? You're able to be around your family. You still got to put the work in, obviously, uh, but it does sound like something that uh, I, I think could work out. Drew, we saw Tom Brady retire and come back 40 days later. Did you, after stepping away, ever have thoughts like that, that, hey, may, maybe I, I want to think about it? Uh, look, I, I think when you, when you make that commitment, um, I mean, obviously it's not, it's not one of those things that you just wake up one day and say, uh, you know, I'm done. Um, you know, that's a process. And I would say the last four years of my career, um, even going back to 2017, I was truly taking it one year at a time. You know, I wanted to, for a couple of reasons, number one, I think I just, I was so grateful for the opportunity that I had to play so long. Um, and I just wanted to value you know, each and every moment, each and every season, each and every opportunity. And you just don't know. I mean, look, you know, the, the, the body, body starts breaking down a little bit. You know, I, I had had that, that right shoulder injury back when I left San Diego, you know, dislocated my right shoulder. My shoulder was put to get back together by with 13 anchors. Right. And I was told by the doctors back then, like, you're going to have early onset arthritis. You're gonna have all these things, you know? And so you being able to maintain and play number one is kind of a miracle, but like to, to do this for any length of time, at some point, it's going to be a big drop off. And, and I would definitely say that I, it became a, 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 a great struggle, you know, to, to, to be, you know, healthy enough to go out there and really perform at, at the highest level, just with the limitations that I had, you know, throwing the ball. Now I'll, I'd dice you up inside of 40 yards <laughs> all day long, but it, it became, it became harder and harder to, you know, do things down the field. Um, uh, so I knew at some point that was going to decline. Um, and so then it became a matter of, you know, what's, what's fair to the team, what's fair to me, you know, and my family as well. You know, there's my kids are at an age where I just want to maximize every, every ounce of time I can with them. So um, I, that's, that's when I made that decision. And I felt like, you know, kind of that 20 year mark was, <laughs> was a great one to end on. Uh, so I, I, I knew going into that last season that that would be my last does it surprise you to see Tom still being able to do what he's doing? Yeah. You no, know, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me because I know how hard he works. I know um, the commitment that he's made to being the very best and the sacrifices that come along with that. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I feel like I have a glimpse into that. Um, and man, it takes tremendous commitment and sacrifice. And, you know, it's funny, both of us, I can recall back in 2014 saying that we could play till we were 45. And it's ironic because we were both, we both trained with the same guy, Tom house, um, who's like this, a legendary sports performance coach that kind of came from the world of baseball, but you know, deals a lot with throwers, but it's much more than just the physical, it's the mental, emotional, um, and spiritual as well. But, um, you know, we, we, Look, if, if if my arm wasn't put back together with 13 anchors, I I played till I was 45. Um, but uh, and and here is Tom; he's doing it right. Um, so 
it, it's because it takes a lot of commitment and sacrifice and not everybody can do it. Joe, what did, what did Sean Payton, you see him step away a year after you did, what did he mean to your career? Oh, I mean, so much. He, he was, he was the one who really wanted me, believed in me, um, pursued me during that free agency period when I was coming off of this injury. I mean, I remember like it was yesterday, my visit to new Orleans in March of 2006, when I couldn't even lift my shoulder or my elbow above my shoulder. Right. I mean, I, I was two months post-op and I mean, imagine the amount of faith it, it takes for a coach who's getting his first head coaching opportunity, right. To basically take a gamble on a guy who just had his shoulder, you know, put back together. And, you know, there were some doctors saying I'd never come back and play again. Right. So like that was, that took a, that took a, a big leap of faith. Um, but I think we were aligned in so many ways. He allowed me uh, so much input into the offense. Uh, I'll never forget one of our first meetings where he starts drawing plays on the board and this is going to be our offense. And he's drawing plays that I was running in San Diego. <laughs> and I was confused. Cause I was like, wait, I thought you were West coast offense. I thought this was going to be different. Like, what's this, you guys run these plays too. And he said, no, he said, but I've seen you run them and you run them really well. So they're going in the offense. So I'm like, wow, you're, you're building this thing around me. And I think I always felt that it was, it was, uh, there was such a, a mutual respect and, and obviously I respect him so much as a coach, but I, I felt like we were very much on the same wavelength and page when it came to just our communication and collaboration and, and him allowing me to have input into things. Drew, tell me about your role with Lowe's home team. What inspired you to be part of that work? I know you you've partnered with Lowe's and lower9.org. Yeah. Um, what a great organization, lower9.org um, is, and it was really great. I was actually part of a project last week with Lowe's and with Lower 9 to help build a, a kind of a working living facility uh, in the Lower Ninth Ward, um, kind of a multi-level facility that uh, was going to be um, a, a food pantry. It was going to be a gathering space. There was, was going to be a housing element. There was going to be almost like a, uh, a business slash uh, charitable incubation you know, type program there. Um, so really really a cool project. It was great to be part of it. Uh, Lowe's has made a commitment of $100 million over the next five years uh, to fund uh, these types of projects in the communities and NFL communities. A lot of NFL players are involved. Guys like um, uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, Justin Herbert, Micah Parsons, among others. So really, really a cool program. And, and I've been the GM of it for the last two years and just really appreciate it for, for Lowe's commitment to, to these communities. I appreciate your time, Drew. Thank you, man. And I wish you a ton of blessings. Thank you, Rob. You too. Welcome back to the AP Pro Football Podcast. Pro Picks was 11-5 and five straight up, 10-6 and six against the spread for the second straight week. As I mentioned earlier, the four-pack on this podcast is 8-0 and oh against the number over the last two weeks. So let's keep it going. Start off in Tampa Bay where the Buccaneers are minus 8.5 against Atlanta. Tom Brady finally got the Buccaneers going on offense. Problem was the defense couldn't stop anybody. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Rolled up on Tampa's defense. The rebuilding Falcons, they're 2-2. Two and two. They're tied with the Buccaneers for first place in the NFC South. That view atop the standings won't last long. Buccaneers, 31-13. Next, I'll look at a game where the line influenced the pick. Seattle plus 5.5 at New Orleans. The Seahawks, they're rolling on offense behind Geno Smith, but their defense is struggling big time. The Saints are 1-3, though they nearly beat Minnesota in London without Jameis Winston, Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas. Five and a half points is a lot to give for a one and three team. That's a Saints line. Saints 27 20. 
for my best bet, I'll look at a road favorite. Los Angeles Chargers are minus three at Cleveland. Justin Herbert and a banged-up Chargers are back on track. Their defense, however, has to figure out a way to slow teams down in the second half. The Browns are a couple plays away from being 4-0. and Instead, they're 2-2. Two and two. Chargers 28-23 in Brandon Staley's Ohio homecoming. Here's an upset special no one figured would be an upset before the season. Arizona, five-and-a-half-point underdog at home against the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles, the only unbeaten team in the NFL. The Cardinals haven't scored a point in the first quarter this season. They're 9-16-1 at home under coach Cliff Kingsbury. The Eagles have dominated their reunion tour recently. They beat up on Carson Wentz. They beat Doug Peterson and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now it's Zach Ertz's turn. He has a big game, Cardinals 27-24. For more insight and predictions on every game, check out ProPix on APNews.com. Time for some final thoughts. Concussions are a hot topic, and we already discussed in the open, but on the heels of Tua, Buccaneers tight end Cam Brate collided with a teammate in Sunday Night Football, and then he was slow to leave the field, he returned to play, and then he was removed and diagnosed with a concussion. The spotters in the booth, they didn't see a hit to the head. They said it was to his shoulder. Brate complained about a shoulder issue. And when you slow down the video, it seems clear to everyone watching that he was hitting the head. I know I was in the press box at the game watching it. It appeared to me that he was hit in the head the announcers, as I went back and watched the video, thought that he may have been hit in the head. I just don't know how they are going to get this right, but they have to find a way to get it right. That's it for this week. Thank you to Drew Brees and James Smith-Williams, and thank you for listening. Please be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, check out my colleague, Ralph Russo, and his AP Top 25 college football podcast. Until next week, I'm Rob Motti reminding you, make a difference. Be a blessing. We'll